The following audio is from Jacob's Well Church. For more information about Jacob's Well Church, please visit www.jacobswellgb.org. In the book American Sniper, written by Chris Kyle, a retired U.S. military legend, he tells a story of going into a bar that is frequented by Navy SEALs. And while he is in that bar, he encounters a celebrity, which he merely calls Punching Out Scruff Face. That's the title he gives him. And in the book, this celebrity supposedly says, the SEALs deserve to lose a few. And in response, Kyle punches him in the face. Well, after the book comes out and it becomes famous, Kyle reveals the identity of that person to be Jesse, the brain, the body, whatever, Ventura, who was a WWF wrestler, also the 38th governor of Minnesota, as well as a talk show host. Well, Jesse Ventura responded to this story saying it was a complete fabrication, that none of it was true, and that as a result of it, it has permanently damaged his relationship with military vets, but also permanently uh, hindered his income. Because after this was reported, all of the offers, all of the job offers stopped, and so he was losing money hand over fist. Mr. Ventura went to court and sued for defamation, which means to damage a person's name, a person's reputation through slandering them. And he won an award of $1.3 million. This is something that is not new to celebrities. Plenty of celebrities have sued for defamation. People like Scarlett Johansson, Tom Cruise, Cameron Diaz, Robin Williams on multiple occasions, David Beckham, and others have spent significant time significant money and significant energy to, pr- to go after these cases of defamation. And when you look at it, you ask the question, why do they do this? Is it because they don't have enough money? Probably not. Is it because they have spare time on their hand? Probably not. The reason they take these things to trial is because they understand that there is meaning in a name. And the court understands that there is meaning in the name. And the name of a person is wrapped up more than just a collection of letters. It is wrapped up their very identity. Maybe you have experienced this personally. Maybe someone has dragged your name through the mud. Maybe they've told secrets that they weren't supposed to tell anybody. Or maybe they just made things up or misconstrued things. And they dragged your name through the mud. And you were not represented fairly to other people. You know that is hurtful because there is meaning in your name. We all want to keep our good name. And when our good name is slandered, we want to redeem that name. Well, today we are going to be looking at the third commandment in which the Lord addresses his name and his desire to protect his name because it is inseparably linked to his character, his holiness, and his glory. If you would, please open up to Exodus chapter 20. It's page 61 in the Red Bible page 98 in the Children's Bible. We're continuing our series today in the Ten Commandments. We saw that God parted the Red Sea to set Israel free, and then God gives them the Ten Commandments that they might live free. God's commandments are not random. They're not arbitrary. They're not meant to obstruct your happiness, but they are given because they are more precious than gold, sweeter than honey, and they revive the soul. We've already covered the first two commandments, but we're going to go ahead and start back at verse one to remind us both of the context of the Ten Commandments and to remind us of those first two commandments. And then we'll get into the third. So let's read together Exodus chapter 20, verse one through seven. 
And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image of any or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water underneath the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. And this is our focus for today here. Verse seven. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Let's pray. Lord, your name is a glorious thing. Your name communicates who you are to a fallen and finite people. And yet, God, we confess that we come to your name so lightly, so many times, Lord. Lord, pray this morning that you would give us a new joy in your name and a new reverence for your name and a new respect for your name. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Earlier this week, I was talking to somebody about the sermon and I said, can I just tell people don't use the Lord's name in vain and then go, let's close in prayer? Because it seems like it's a fairly obvious command, right? And maybe you look at this command, you're like, you know, it just doesn't really apply to me. I don't use Jesus' name as a cuss word much. And so it really kind of applies to other people. So I can kind of skip this one and get on to the next. But what we will see today is that is an extremely shallow understanding of the third commandment. God takes his name very seriously because, as we said earlier, it is bound up with his very identity. I don't know if you remember this, but even back in Exodus chapter 9, when God sent boils upon the Egyptians, he comes to Pharaoh through Moses and he says, but for this purpose, I have raised you up to show my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. God's name, God's glory is constantly the motivation for just about everything he does throughout scripture. Just to give you a few examples in 1 Samuel 12. It says, for the Lord will not forsake his people. Why? For his great name's sake. Psalm 23. God restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness. Why? For his name's sake. Psalm 79. Help us, O God, of our salvation. Why? For the glory of your name. Deliver us and atone for our sin for your name's sake. Finally, New Testament, 1 John 2, 12. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven. Why? For his name's sake. I think we're starting to grasp the magnitude of this commandment. Of what a big name, what big deal God's name is to God. And of what a big deal it should be to us. God's namesake, God's glory is his central motivation for all that he does. That we might know the majesty of our God and our Savior. Even in the third commandment, we see the gravity with this strict warning. He says, the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Jesus himself refers to this third commandment 
a matter of fact, as he's teaching his disciples how to pray, this is the very first commandment he addresses. Jesus says, when you pray, say, Father, hallow be your name. To hallow God's name means to revere it, to promote it, to consecrate, to sanctify, to set it apart. In other words, it means to not take it in vain. And so as we look at this third commandment today, there are three areas of our life that I want to look at where we must hallow, excuse me, hallow God's name. And the first is with our speech. The second is with our conduct and the third with our heart. So first, let's look and see how we must hallow God's name in our speech. Now, often we think that this merely applies to cussing or using the Lord's name in a way as profanity, but it's far more pervasive than that. And so I want to kind of go through very quickly a couple of different ways that we might take the Lord's name in vain in our daily life. The first is the one, of course, that I think we all think of. I know I think of when I read this third commandment and it's do not use the Lord's name profanely. God's name is important to him and it should be important to us. And so we should not just flippantly say his name. We shouldn't say OMG or oh my God or recklessly say oh my Lord. Nor should we say Jesus Christ as an expression of disgust. Such a use shows that we are not only neutral to God in our hearts, but we are actually in rebellion in our hearts against God. I mean, think about it. We don't use other people's names for the same things that we use, that people use Jesus Christ's name. I mean, if you're going around your house and you stub your toe, do you go, Dan Jackson? I mean, I hope you don't. Do you? You do now? Oh. Hey, it's better than using Jesus Christ, right? Amen. I mean, who is Jesus? He's only the God who created the universe. He's only the God who sustains you every second of every day. He's only God who came and died for your sin to give you eternal life with God forever. I mean, that's, that's who he is of all names. This should be the last name that we would use to express profanity or to express a time that we're disappointed or angry. And so Jesus is a name that we must hold in reference. We must not use it profanely. Secondly, in our speech, do not use the Lord's name recklessly. Again, this is something that I am very guilty of. I know so many times when I'm praying, I end the prayer by saying, in Jesus' name. And really, that's just a trigger to let people know that I'm done. You know, like, this is the end. It's kind of like that automatic signature on your email. It's like, this is how it goes. Now you know it's over. And it's just said with such emptiness of heart. But we shouldn't take his name recklessly. It must mean something. We must look at it with reverence and joy in the depth of our heart whenever we profess the name of Jesus Christ. We're going to get more to that in the third main point. And so let's keep moving forward. The third thing, do not use the Lord's name prophetically. Let me explain that. In Deuteronomy 18.22, when a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, this is what it says. If the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. And in fact, two verses earlier, it says if someone prophesies in the Lord's name and it doesn't come true, that you should stone him. Now, this is more prevalent today than you might think. People go around often saying, the Lord told me to do this. The Lord said we should do this. 
but they can't quote the Bible verse because they're talking about an experience that they've had. And they're so certain that the Lord has spoken to them and through them. Let me give you an example. A few months ago, I guess last year, we came to you, and I can't remember how we communicated it, but about a piece of property over on Woodfield Court. And we could have come this way. I hope I didn't come this way. Maybe I did. I hope not. But I could have come to you and said, the Lord has told me that we are to buy this property on Woodfield Court. That's pretty presumptuous, isn't it? Pretty presumptuous to say, I have heard from God. Now you must listen to me. But hopefully we came to you saying, you know what? We formed a committee and we did our research. We did due diligence. We prayed about it. We sought the Lord and we believe this is where the Lord is calling us to be. You see the difference between the two? One is to take the Lord's name to promote your agenda, your ideas, and your thoughts. And the other is to say, listen, this is where we think the Lord is calling us to be. Would you please confirm that as we move forward? Contrastingly, we can have great boldness when we quote scripture. We can say, the Lord says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. Because it says that. But we have to be careful not to take the name of the Lord prophetically. Fourthly, I think that's what I'm on. Do not use the Lord's name superficially. This is kind of the final way uh, that we might use it that commentators have talked about. And really, this is maybe the main thrust of this in in looking at our words. Um, And there might be a better word for it. But basically, the, the emphasis is that when we take vows, when we take oaths in the name of the Lord, we must be very certain that we can fulfill that vow and that oath. And we must take it with utmost seriousness. You see throughout scripture, people taking vows and oaths in the name of the Lord. And it's a good thing. Jesus, you probably remember Jesus, Jesus warns us against taking oaths and vows because our word should be our word. Our yes should be yes. And our no should be no. But when we take oaths and vows in the name of the Lord, whether it be for baptism or for membership or for a marriage, or when you stand in front of a jury and you, and you, and you swear in the name of God to, to testify to the truth and the whole truth. When we make those vows and those obligations in the name of the Lord, we must treat it with utmost seriousness to fulfill everything that we said we should do. You know, throughout history, people have taken the third commandment ultra seriously. (laughs) In the early church, Hebrew scribes who wrote out copies of the Bible, when they would get to the name of the Lord, whether it be Yahweh or God or whatever it might be, they would actually put down their pen. Actually, they would throw away their pen. They would go and take a ceremonial bath. They would put on clean clothes and then they would bring a brand new pen that has never been used before and write out the name of the Lord. Even today, some Jews in wanting to obey the third commandment won't even write out the name God. They'll just write G slash D. Now, while I look at those and I respect their reverence for the Lord, it is an over-application of this commandment. You see, because the final point is in this main point is this, that we should not use the Lord's name sparingly. Notice this commandment does not simply say, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God. It doesn't say that. It says you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Throughout scripture, we are 
told to call on the name of the Lord time and time and time again. Psalm 105 says, oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. This is a command. We are called to call upon the name of the Lord, to draw close to him, to even call him Abba, Father. And so this is how we obey the third commandment, to hallow God's name, to not take it in vain. We must not treat it profanely or recklessly or prophetically or superficially. And we also shouldn't treat it sparingly. We should use it boldly to come before God with love and awe and reverence, knowing who the name points to. So we must hallow God's name in our speech. And that's what we typically think of, right? When we think of that commandment. But it goes so much deeper than that. We must also hallow God's name in our conduct. Notice how the command does not, again, does not simply say, you shall not speak the name of the Lord your God in vain. It's not what it says. It says you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. This word take includes our speaking, but includes far more than that. This word take means to carry or to bear. Let me give you an example. Before Trish and I were married, she could speak my last name, Jackson, right? But the day that we got married, she took on my last name. Now, poor girl, whatever I did would represent her. And whatever she did would represent me and would represent my name. And I would represent her name. That is to take on a name. And so what God says is when you take on my name, do not treat it in vain. And this happens not only in our language, but also in our conduct. Every person in some way has the name of God and that they're image bearers of God, as we talked about earlier. But especially the Christian, the, the little Christ, those who profess to follow Jesus. We have taken on his name in wonderful and glorious ways. And we are called to hollow it with the way that we act. Let me, let me uh, give you this example from Ezekiel 36. If you could turn to Ezekiel 36, because there's a significant passage here I want to look at. It's page uh, 724 if you're in the Red Bible. If you're in the Children's Blue Bible, it's page 914. Um, if you don't have either of those, it comes after Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, and Ezekiel. Okay? Ezekiel, and so Ezekiel 36. Ezekiel is writing to the southern kingdom of Israel, which is called Judah. And it's around 586 BC. Some of the books written before, some of the books written after. But this passage is explaining why the Lord has brought judgment against Israel through the Babylonians and why the Israelites are being exiled out of the promised land. Okay. And so he's explaining why this is happening. And so let's read together Exodus 36 verse 16. The word of the Lord came to me. This Prophet Ezekiel speaking. Son of man, when the house of Israel lived in their own land, they defiled it by their ways and their deeds. Their ways before me were like the uncleanness of a woman in her menstrual impurity. So I poured out my wrath upon them for the blood that they had shed in the land, for the idols with which they had defiled it. I scattered them among the nations, and they were dispersed through the countries in accordance in accordance with their ways and their deeds, I judged them. Now, 
Now let's see how God understands the way they were acting, their deeds, their war, their idolatry, their conduct. Verse 20. But when they came to the nations, whenever they came, they profaned my holy name. And that people said to them, these are the people of the Lord, and yet they had to go out of his land. But I had concern for my holy name. Israel didn't, but God did. Which the house of Israel has profaned among the nations to which they came. Therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your name's sake, excuse me, it's not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. Keep your finger there. How did Israel profane the name of the Lord? Did they just walk around and cuss a bunch? Were they just using the Lord's name as a cuss word? Is it? No, it was through their idolatry, through their violence, through what they were doing. It was through their conduct and their conduct was violating the third commandment. It was profaning the name of the Lord. Do you see how comprehensive this third commandment is? You see, you cannot disobey any other of the Ten Commandments and not disobey the third commandment. Because if you use selective obedience, you're profaning the name of the Lord. Alexander the Great, one of the greatest military generals who ever lived and conquered almost the entire known world, one night he was out on a campaign and he couldn't sleep. And so he walked out and he came across one of his guards who had fallen asleep at his post. Now, the penalty for falling asleep could be and sometimes was death. And so Alexander the Great walks up and the man awakens from his slumber and he sees Alexander the Great and Alexander the Great says to the young man, do you know the penalty for falling asleep at post? And in, I'm sure, a quivering voice, he says, yes. And so Alexander the Great looks at him and he says, what's your name? And the soldier responds, Alexander. I'm guessing it took Alexander the Great back a little bit. And he asks him again, what's your name? Alexander. And so Alexander the Great looks at the man and he says this, change your conduct or change your name. You see, you have been given the name of God. You are a Christian. You are a follower of Jesus. You are a son and daughter of God. You are under the umbrella of God's name and you're inseparably linked with God. And so the glory of his name is inseparably linked to our conduct. And when we disobey God with our conduct, we profane his name. G.K. Chesterton said the only strong case against Christianity is Christians. (laughs) The only strong case against Christianity is Christians. And it's true because we, the church, are to be God's billboard to the world. We are communicating to the world who God is and what he is like for better or for worse, whether we're representing him truly or untruly. We are his ambassadors to the world. 
And we're telling our children and our coworkers and our neighbors and our friends who God is simply by the way we act in love or don't act in love. There is a weighty reality that how we conduct ourselves says something about our God's name. Now, this is a weighty responsibility, but Ezekiel 36 goes on and there's such good news of the gospel in it. Look with me. Let's pick it up in verse 23. In Ezekiel 36, 23, God says, and I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God. Excuse me. When through you, I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. Now, how is God going to vindicate his holiness? Is he going to do it by bringing judgment upon the Israelites, just as he did upon the Egyptians? Verse 24, I will take you from from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh pointing forward to the new covenant in Christ. Verse 27, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You see, here's the glorious thing is that God can glorify his name by bringing judgment upon the wickedness of humanity like he did to Egypt. But he also brings glory to his name by extending grace and mercy to people like us. And so the good news is even if you profane, your, profane his name in your conduct, which you will and I will, God will still triumph in glorifying his name through his grace and redemption of the world. We, the church, are God's billboard to the world, and we communicate the glory of his name. So we must hallow God's name again in our speech, in our conduct, and finally, we must hallow God's name in our hearts. You know, it is completely possible to hallow God's name in your words and to hallow God's name in your conduct but to not hallow God's name in the most important place of all, which is in your hearts. In Matthew 7, 22, Jesus tells the story. Jesus says on that day, talking to the judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? You see, he's talking about people who had hallowed God's name, hallowed Jesus's name, the Lord's name in their speech. They said they did it in Jesus' name, in the Lord's name. They even call him Lord, Lord. They're hallowing his name. They were also hallowing his name, not only in speech, but also in their conduct. They were doing ministry. They were casting out demons. I've never done that. They were doing the work of ministry, doing mighty works, teaching in his name. They were doing all of these things, hallowing God's name, both in their words, but also in their conduct. And yet Jesus goes on to say, and then I will declare to them, 
I never knew you. Depart from me, you're workers of lawlessness. These are maybe the scariest two verses in the whole Bible. They should cause every person who claims to be a Christian to pause and ask the question, am I just playing church? Am I just saying the right things, doing the right things? But my heart is so far from God. You see, you can certainly honor the Lord's name in your speech and in your conduct and not do so in your heart. But if you first and foremost honor the Lord's name in your heart, it will influence your conduct and your speech with great joy. Jesus gives many, many accounts of those who have that external obedience, but in emptiness of heart, you think of the rich young ruler who comes and says, Jesus, I've obeyed all the commands. And Jesus is like, okay, go sell your possessions. And he walks away sad because he loves money more than he loves Jesus. Or the parable of the two sons, the prodigal sons. The story ends with the older, more obedient, easier son left outside the party because although he has given his father his obedience in conduct and in word, he had never given him his heart. In the book, Blue Like Jazz, Donald Miller was talking about a time when he was involved in ministry, and he was very good at what he did. He was asked to speak on many different occasions. And at one point in the book, he wrote these words, and it stuck out to me because I resonate with it. He said, I was a spokesman for God, but wasn't using the product. I was a spokesman for God, but wasn't using the product. And so my question for you is this. Are you done just playing church? Are you done keeping your heart back while putting forth your actions and your words to to promote a certain identity? You know, we have this great time during communion when the elements are being handed out. And it gives you an opportunity to say, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me for the ways I have hardened my heart, calloused my heart, ran to other things with my heart. Draw me back to yourself. Maybe later today or this week, you need to set some time apart to say, Lord, I'm doing all the things I'm supposed to be doing, but I just feel so far away. Forgive me, Lord. I have run away. Draw me back to yourself. You see, God not only cares that we hollow his name in our words and in our conducts, but much more deep inside our hearts. Let me end with this. You know, we started off talking about the power of names, right? And one of the powers that names have is to open up doors. You know, we can use other people's names and get certain privileges or be in certain places that we would never deserve to be on our own. Let me give you a very silly example of this. A few years ago, I was taking the uh, ridge vent off the top of my house and it has shingles on it and I had to throw it away. It was too much to put in the trash can, but not enough to rent a dumpster. And so I wasn't sure what to do with it. And so I called up my good friend, Mark Kaiser, and I said, Hey, Mark, uh, he runs this business called Linquist. I said, can I, can I throw this away in your dumpster? And he said, sure. And so drove my trailer over got there, backed my trailer up, and I'm picking up these shingles to throw them into the dumpster. And one of the workers comes out and he says, hey, what are you doing? I'm throwing away shingles. 
this is a private dumpster. This is, this is private. This is for Lindquist. And I said, oh, well, I have permission. And he said, from who? I said, Mark Kaiser. At which point he turned around and went back to his job. <laughs> because you see, names can unlock things that our name can unlock. You know, it's happened to me many times in life, whether it be to set up a job interview or maybe even get a job or set up an audition. Those happen because of somebody else's name. The right name opens up many doors. This is how the powerful name of the Lord Jesus Christ works. It opens up a place that we do not belong, that we do not deserve. Acts 2.21 says, Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You see, what the name of Jesus unlocks our glorious riches. And he does all of this by his great name. Maybe you are here and your name is mud. Maybe it has been run through and tarnished and people don't respect you in your job or at your house or out in your neighborhood. Maybe you're here and you have a great name and people love you and respect you. Either way, it is not the most important name in your life. The most important name is Jesus, who went to the cross and took on our name, our reputation, our shame, our sin. And for it was beaten, was hung up, naked, cursed at, spat at, humiliated, because that's what our name deserves. So that in the end, he might give us his name. That for all eternity, we can stand before the, the God of the universe, the holy God of the universe, and not claim our name, but claim the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. You shall not take the Lord, the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. We must hallow God's name in our speech. Never taking it lightly but, and not using it sparingly. We must hallow God's name in our conduct. For we are God's billboard to the world. We must hallow God's name in our hearts, loving his name above all other names. Let me end with Acts 4.12, which says, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. This name, Jesus, if you call upon his name, Unlocks all the riches of heaven. It is a glorious name. It's the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you seek to give us a new name, a new reputation, a new identity that is in Christ alone. Lord, forgive us for the ways that we have profaned your name in our words, in our conduct, but also deep in our hearts. Lord, pray that you would redeem us, that you would give us a joy in our salvation, that would seek to honor and glorify your name in all that we say, all that we do, and all that we feel. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.